exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. The Impact. And now, Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In world news today, after a week in detention facing possible extradition, Julian Hassange, the founder of WikiLeaks anti-secrecy group, was ordered release on a $310,000 bail today. He's challenging a Swedish prosecutor's demand that he return to Stockholm for questioning about alleged sex offenses, according to the New York Times. In national news, President Barack Obama met with billionaire philanthropists and businessmen, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates today to talk about the economy. Gates' wife, Melinda, was also at the meeting, which focused on an initiative to encourage the wealthiest Americans to give up the majority of their wealth to charity, according to Reuters. During the visit, they also discussed ideas for growing the economy and making America more competitive, including investment in education to better prepare the next generation and investing in innovative areas with opportunities for growth, the White House said in a statement. And in Michigan news, redevelopment projects in Detroit, Flint, Grand Rapids, and Lansing are getting a boost with state tax incentives, according to the Associated Press. Governor Jennifer Granholm said today the projects are in line for brownfield redevelopment assistance from the state. Granholm, who leaves office at the end of this year, made the announcement at her last scheduled meeting with the Michigan Economic Growth Authority Board. The brownfield redevelopment projects are aimed at providing new life and investment for abandoned or contaminated sites. The projects include housing and medical office developments in Detroit, business school developments in Grand Rapids, and mixed-use developments in Lansing. And an exposure tonight, it is the holiday season, and we will be talking about local organizations and businesses tonight. Um, But first is an interview I did earlier this month about buying local here in Lansing. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. Here in the studio is Chad Jordan of Cravings Gourmet Popcorn, as well as Jora Borgstrom of the Michigan State Housing Development Authority, and they're here to talk about buying local. They're a part of the Capital Gains Speaker Series. And so welcome to the show, Chad and Joe. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. So why are you speaking at this event? Tell us how you guys got involved and, and why it is important to buy local. Well, we both got involved, uh, actually, uh, at the urging of probably... Uh, a number of folks that probably Subin uh, Nur, Nur, sorry Subin Nur Kulik, I always yeah with their last name, uh, and uh, both both uh, Chad and I are working on different things. Uh, Chad obviously being a small business owner in, in Old Town, and uh, what we're working with at the Michigan Main Street Center at Mishta uh, is trying to encourage folks to, to shop locally to realize that there's a true economic impact. Uh, when people spend their money with locally owned businesses, as opposed to supporting, uh, you know, big boxes and those sorts of things. I, I think it's important as a business owner to uh, let people know that um, uh, it's important to uh, affect their own community. Um, there's many ways that we can do it and, and have a positive influence on our environment around us, and and shopping locally is uh, one of those things that we can, we can all do. Now, Chad, can you talk a little bit about what your business is and how it has evolved in the past few years? Yeah, I own a Cravings Gourmet Popcorn, and uh, I started out at the Lansing City Market back in the fall of 2007. Um, recently, I've moved to Old Town, and uh, um, it's been uh, very good there in Old Town. 
And Joe, I want to ask you, as part of um, Mishta, how does buying local affect the economy? Are there some numbers that you can throw out there? How much your dollar can go buying local versus buying, you know, going to the mall and, and buying, you know, let's say holiday gifts there? Certainly. Actually, there was a great study that was done in 2008 by a group called Local First out of Grand Rapids that really looked at the Grand Rapids market, but it's, it's very uh, um, uh, similar for the rest of the state. When you buy an, an item in a locally owned business, 68 uh, cents of every dollar stays in the local economy versus 43 cents that, it, that buying that same item at a chain store. Uh, and the reason for that is that the locally owned businesses hire other locally owned businesses. Uh, they use local suppliers. They use you know they use a, many more things in the local economy than the chains do. So if you were to go to a big box. And you know, some of that money, a lot of that money, goes down to say Bentonville, Arkansas, versus you know staying here in, in Old Town. Uh, like if you were to go buy something from Chad's shop, that you know, much more of that money stays in the local economy, sixty-eight to forty-three, uh, versus a national chain. And what constitutes buying local? Is that is buying local going to Meyer since it's a Michigan-based company, or you know, what what constitutes? That's local. a great question because you know that's one of, that's one of the things that people struggle with a lot is that you hear local and so you assume, you assume it's necessarily a geographic prox- proximity. So you know the local Walmart is a local business. No, it's not. It depends on, on where they're where the, the the owners of the business live is a big part of that. And it's not necessarily a black or white issue. It's either local or non-local. It is a kind of almost a, a hierarchy or a scale of gray. You know, Chad's a great example. He lives here in the area. He owns a local business. He uses other business. He is wholly a locally owned business but you just mentioned Meyer. Meyer's a great example you know they may be a bit of a big box but they're located in Grand Rapids so they're not necessarily as you know bad for the economy as saying you know buying somewhere where it's located in another state so at least the state benefits from those taxes so it's kind of a sliding scale but by by far the most impact happens in those locally owned businesses and I think that there are some businesses that are more local than others I mean if you go to a business that um, and I'm not picking on any type of business, but some type of uh, a business that sells everything that's made in China versus a business that you know gets their product line from somewhere in Michigan or even the United States. That, that makes a difference also because the money is actually circulating within the United States or within your local geographic region. So, Chad, your business is is pretty much. Popcorn, you sell popcorn and gourmet popcorn and soda, right? Gourmet popcorn and soda pop. And do a lot of those products come from the Michigan area? A lot of them do. As a matter of fact, um, you know, while we're making our popcorn, we, we use local dairies for our butter. Um, we use local distributors for um, all of our other products. We use local um, corn. Our corn is actually grown in Michigan. And and I'm curious, a store that exclusively sells these you know, popcorn... And you say you've you've um, your business has grown in the past few years. How do you think that that happens? I, it really does come from being involved in the community. Uh, you can't expect for your business to grow and just take 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 from you know your customers without giving back to the community and, and your customers. So I think that um, it's it's not a gimmick. It's the way to do business. Uh, if you want to grow your business, you have to. Um, give back to the community if you want to uh, receive from them. And 
And Joe, can you talk about um, Shop, is it Shop My or Shop Michigan Downtown Holiday Challenge? Oh, the Shop My Downtown. I just want to say something real quickly, too, yeah. about, about, Chad, about Chad's store at Craving's Popcorn Old Town. You know, Chad's store and what he's doing is really important, not only from, uh, you know, kind of the keeping the money local. You know, now that he's selling his product online, he's helping to bring money into the community on top of, you know, helping keep the money here. So that's a really important point, you know, that we realize that some of our small businesses are doing. So thank you, Chad, for doing that. You mentioned this, the Shop My Downtown Holiday Challenge. Uh, yeah, the, what, it, the idea came from uh, the Village of Sparta. Uh, their DDA director had contacted us. We work with Sparta through our Michigan Main Street program and said that their DDA director had started a video blog just wanting to challenge Sparta residents to do all, all their, their Christmas shopping in downtown Sparta. And they sent it to us and said, you know, would you mind passing this along? And some of us talked to, about some of our, uh, our other statewide partners and said, this is something we can really get behind. So we decided to challenge Michigan residents to spend 75% of their holiday shopping budgets in Michigan's downtowns and Main Street districts like Old Town. Uh, we thought it was really important for folks to realize the economic impact. That's $68 to $43. I'll throw in one more number for you, $0, which if you buy something off the internet from somebody that's not located here in Michigan, that's how much of your money stays locally. All of it goes. Um, so you know, getting together with those partners like the Small Business Association of Michigan, the Michigan Municipal League, you know, a whole handful of other folks um, to issue this challenge. And we wanted to folks to not only just take this challenge, and it wasn't kind of kind of a browbeating, it was we want to make it fun. So we created a Facebook page. It's So it's facebook.com slash shop my downtown, M-I uh, downtown. Where we're asking people to share photos of their favorite downtown businesses as part of this. And we've had, you know, five establishments who are part of our Michigan Main Street program uh, donate overnight stays. So anyone who enters in enters a, a post, excuse me, posts a picture or a video of their favorite downtown business uh, gets entered into a random drawing. And so with this competition, those people that are entered into this drawing, is it just them participating in or do they have to um have 75% of their, their holiday shopping be in the local area? Well, the challenge, we can't, we can't really verify what a person's budget is. and so the, the idea is that there's a challenge, it's, and it's all done you know, kind of on the honor system. But the, the Facebook challenge really is, is about just people sharing you know, you know, great stories about great businesses. And we've seen a couple of businesses. Here's a good example, uh, Trailhead Mercantile in downtown Niles. Uh, they saw the challenge. They really liked it. And so what they decided to do was they said, okay, any of our customers who post our picture on here, not only will you be entered into this bigger contest, but we're going to have our own little drawing for, 20, for a $20 gift certificate. Um, you know, so you know, not only can you promote shopping downtown, you can help us promote our business. It's become really quite viral. We're seeing a number of businesses start to do that. We think it's a really cool idea. Now, I remember I was in I was in middle school, and I, I grew up in the Lansing area. Um, and I remember it was around Christmas time one year, and instead of going shopping at the mall with my mom, she took me to downtown Lansing. And it was very interesting for me um, because at that point, no, it was a weekend, so Lansing wasn't bustling with people going to work. And um, it was just a very, very relaxing time to just go to these shops. And some of them, you know, were very eclectic and, um, you know, artsy and things like that. And I just remember it was just a great experience to be in downtown Lansing. It wasn't super crowded and it felt very, very quaint, a lot different than you would get from your experience going to a mall or something like that. Um, so I, I thought that that idea is very interesting. Um, so what ideas do you guys have for, um, now that the holiday season's kind of kicking up, um, some possible gift ideas for the holiday season um, that you can find here in the Lansing area? Well, of course, I'm going to say popcorn <laughs> tins. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't love popcorn? Uh, 
when you go to Old Town, I'll just I'll just say this. I, I'm going to take. I have two kids, and uh, I'm going to take them shopping in Old Town to buy all of our gifts this year. I just think it's it's not just the right thing to do, but it's 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 uh, setting an example for the future. Um, and, and then the other thing is, is that there's a lot of places that even though I'm in Old Town every day that I haven't been to. And it's a lot of adventure and discovery for myself also. I think that you talked about your experience of, of going downtown Lansing and, and shopping. It was an adventure. There were things that you had never seen before, and some of the gifts that you gave people probably appreciated them a lot more because you had to put some thought into them. When you go to the mall, it's the same old store for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's this, I mean, it's, it's nationwide. It's the same old, same old for everybody. So I think that... Going to these smaller places and uh, it makes it a lot more special. And I think too, you know, one of the one of the cool parts about shopping these districts and shopping these locally owned businesses is that a lot of times you go into Cravings Popcorn, and you're going to find Chad, you know, and you're going to find your you're going to find the, the folks that you know are going to be the same people every time. It's not, you know, whoever's working the store at the mall that day, you know, who may not be there tomorrow. You know, you go into October Moon, and you know, more times than not, you're going to you're going to find you know the owner of October Moon, and same with Grace, and the same with you know a lot of the businesses who are down in Old Town. The owners are working the store, and I guarantee you get much better service from an owner and from their from their close knit employees than you do from a chain. And it's you know if that person's bothered to, to working that day or if you know they're not there you know, the next day, who knows? So. And, and they're going to make it right if it's not if it's not right because it's their livelihood. That's right, and, and that's I think that's the thing that always frustrated me about you know shopping at some other places is that well that's the policy and that's the way it is. It doesn't matter how you felt as as a consumer. Um, when you go to these local businesses, they, they're, their heart and soul is invested in this. Their, their pocketbook book is invested in this. They're going to make it right with you. Yeah, uh, almost a year, actually probably a year to the date, um, my, my aunt came in from California. She actually sat in this very same show the weekend before Thanksgiving she was in, and um, she had just gotten done. My mom had t- taken out. For, my mom skipped work for a day, took her out, and she, she took her to Old Town, took her to October Moon, got to meet the owner. You know, they, they hung out for a while, you know, shared music and, you know, all the, you know, what goes on in that store, and then took her to um, Horrocks and they bought all of these like gourds and, and pumpkins and things like that and made this whole extravagant um, piece with with just a lots of produce on it that she had seen on the storefronts in Old Town. Um, so I thought that was very interesting that my aunt comes from um, California and she, you know, takes her to places like Old Town, things like that. Um, and I just want to talk about Old Town for a little bit, Chad, because are you, when did, when did you start your business in Old Town? Uh, I opened up in February. In February, because recently they've had a ton of new um, businesses coming into Old Town, correct? Yeah. As a matter of fact, we had a ribbon cutting in, I want to say, April or May. And I believe that there were more than 20 new businesses that opened up for the ribbon cutting. I mean, it was amazing. It was, and they were going from, from business to business to business for about two hours straight doing ribbon cuttings, which was pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and I just think that that whole area is just a wonderful scene. Just seeing it, how it's expanded through the years, and I and I think you know you talk about your store, but I feel like many of the owners, it's like you said, you know, the owners run it, um, a very you know personal atmosphere, and and everyone has their their own taste to their store. Yeah, and, and people are passionate. That's the thing. People are passionate. The the, the person that runs the pottery shop knows about pottery. It's not just some 
person that says, yeah, that one's brown. <laughs> There's more to it. They can, they can tell you the history behind whatever it is that their craft is there's so many great places and there's a lot of loyalty there among the retailers as well um you know the owners start to get to know each other and you know Tallulah's folly is one of the the new businesses in down in old town there uh you know but you know they will refer other customers to the other stores and you won't see it at the mall nobody's going to really tell you to you know go go across the street and check out these guys they do that in Old Town. You know, they've been, we've been very uh, fortunate to work with Old Town for, uh, geez, going on five years now, I think, uh, through the Michigan Main Street program. And they've got a phenomenal uh, community. And that, so that's the best word I can think of it because it's not only the residents, but the business owners form a community. And, and everyone who's there are all kind of pulling together, and they all realize that a rising tide lifts all boats. Now, as, as time goes on, we're becoming more of a globalized world. Um, you know, back in the day, everyone shopped locally, and that's what you did. Um, but do you think that there's there's more? Because um, I've seen this theme come up a lot recently in the past few years. You know, buy local, buy local. Do you think it's more important now? Um, seeing that that you know, the world as a whole is becoming more more globalized. That that because that happened, um, we're kind of wanting to go back to the roots and wanting to to bring more into our local economies. Do you see that that's that there's more of a need for it now? No, I, I think so, and I think there's I think you're seeing that movement in a number of places. I think not only retail is part of that. I think you're also seeing it in terms of uh, local food production. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's a good example, and I think you're seeing that work its way through the chain because restaurant tours, and especially local restaurant tours, you know, uh, Soup Spoon Cafe uh, on Michigan Avenue here in Lansing. You know, I know he goes out and he goes to the farmers market, and he goes and he wants to know who he's buying the food from. You know, we, there's been so many food scares and things going on recalls that there's a real want to know you know who who's producing your food retail is a lot like that people want to know that if there's going to be a problem that the owners are going to respond to it you know we all kind of feel like that we've been mass herded everywhere and yeah, that i would agree you know yeah. that, that we're all being put in this cookie cutter and you know the idea that so there's individual attention and i think we're at a really critical point where you know even those of us who are in our 30s and 40s remember our downtowns even when we were little kids of being kind of magical places especially at the holiday time that you know, we want to kind of get back to that. So I think you're right. I think that there's a, there's a pushback for that, but I think there's a real economic need too because our our economies are like buckets of water, and every time that we you know buy stuff from from China or anywhere else, more money leaves our bucket. And so the more opportunities we have to shop locally and help keep that water in our bucket, we need to do that. Uh, and I would also add that, you know, for example, I know the farmer that grew my corn. We have a relationship. You don't necessarily get that at you know somewhere else, because I have a relationship with him. He's going to help me to make my business better. Because if my business is better, that means that I will buy more corn from him. In the same way that I have to build a relationship with my customers, because if they feel better about buying my product, they will buy more product from me. I will feel better about selling it to them. I will feel better about donating to their charity or their fundraiser see how it all works mm-hmm. we all we all want to build a relationship and feel good about each other now my last question for both of you is is what do you think are the biggest struggles um, for local business people and and what are your what are your hopes for for the Lansing area like we talk about old town and how 
you know, this ribbon cutting, you know, this past spring and 23 new businesses or so were there. Um, so what what are the struggles right now and, and, and what are the hopes that, that we have? I'll defer to the small business owner on this question to, to yeah. start off. I mean, you tell us. I would say just awareness. I think that's the, the biggest um, hurdle to overcome. It's awareness. We've got to get people aware of where we are and who we are and what we can provide. I really think that going to the mall is the easy way out. How do we get to some of these other special nooks and crannies of the city? Yeah, I'll, I'll add, and I think this was one of the, one of the pushes behind us doing the, the Shop My Downtown Challenge, it was, is echoing just that. You know, these folks are competing against big boxes who have millions and millions of av- dollars in advertising budgets, and they're f- going to be flooding, if they're not already doing it, flooding the TV waves here shortly before Thanksgiving to get everyone to go shop at, at their big boxes. You know, I'm guessing Cravings Popcorn doesn't have a $2 million advertising line item budget. Just guessing, Nope, Jeff. nope. <laughs> but, there's a, but there's a lot of small businesses who are like that. And so one of the reasons that we wanted to have this challenge is that, and it's been so far successful, and we thank you guys for having us on to talk about it, is to get people more aware about that, that, they are, that there are these local businesses out there, and that they're great places to be able to buy quality gifts and quality products from great people uh, that can really improve our communities. Well, in the studio I have... Uh, Chad Jordan of Cravings Gourmet Popcorn, located in um, Old Town, Lansing, as well as Joe Borgstrom of the Michigan State Housing Development Authority. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having Thanks us, Emily. You're listening to Impact Exposure. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. On the phone is Brian Davis. He is the Capital Area Coordinator for the Salvation Army, and he's here to talk about what they do during the holiday season. Welcome to the show, Brian. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be on. So I guess to begin, how long has the Salvation Army been around internationally and then also in the Lansing area? Well, we've actually been around for a long time, which probably isn't a surprise to um, many of your listeners. The Salvation Army started in London, England back in 1865. So we've been around for a long time. But we've been in Lansing um, basically about 126, almost 127 years. And what type of services do the Salvation Army Army provide at the international level as well as in the Lansing area? It's very interesting because the Salvation Army, most of us, um, most people in the community know us because of um, our activities out in the community. So many people, when asked, would think of us as a um, charitable organization, but we're actually a, um, what we characterize ourselves as a Christian movement, and um, we actually hold religious services, worship services as well as the um, social outreach that most people associate with us in terms of social services or um, how we characterize them as family services here in Lansing. And and, I, and also people can probably recognize you as the bell ringers in a lot of the stores in, in the area. Um, I, I understand that some of the donations for Salvation Army has been down this year. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, I think for many people... Um, Part of the characteristic of this holiday season is that um, bell ringer, um, both good and bad, whether it's an employee who gets tired of hearing the bell during the day or people who go from store to store and, and see us there. But we've been doing the um, the Christmas bells, the um, cattle season, um, for, for decades now. And I think for many people it's a part of nostalgia. And this year, it's true, our, our um, donations are down. And as a as a community type organization, do you collaborate with other programs in the area like AmeriCorps or different shelters in the area? 
we we work with a variety of agencies. We are a United Way member agency, and um, so we work along with um, other United Way agencies. But um, we participate and we interact with any number of groups um, in terms of collaboration, in terms of referrals. Um, we work with um, Capital Area Community Services, Volunteers of America, in terms of in terms of really trying to make sure that people in need find the resources that they need. And I think we have a pretty good working relationship with the various groups in, in town, whether they're part of the United Way or not. And how many volunteers do you have as a part of the Salvation Army? Oh, that would be a really good um, thing to sort of um, come up with in terms of a number. We have some uh, volunteers who are just... Uh, very predictable people who have been working with us for um, years. I think of one named Blanche, who's 91, who's been helping us out for over 35 years. But then during the season, this Christmas season, we bring out a lot of volunteers. There are a lot of people who want to be involved with our efforts. So, in fact, tomorrow we're going to start what we call our Toy Town. We work together with the Marines and Toys for Tots. And um, we have a lot of volunteers that come out who that's their sort of one activity of the year, or maybe they help us out with Thanksgiving meal or our Christmas meal. So we'll, count, we'll have hundreds of people over the next few days at our distribution center. And, in fact, some of them will be from the Michigan State campus. And how can people help out during this holiday season? Well, one thing that, um, you know, we, we obviously can use volunteers, um, whether it's, um, in those programs that we just named or whether it's helping us with community meals that are offered throughout the year on Mondays and Fridays. Um, we can always use help for that. We have other sorts of programs that people can help us out with in terms of youth programming that goes on at our building. We also have a produce distribution on most Wednesdays during the year. So, I mean, I think there are a number of ways that volunteers can help out, but seasonally we can help, uh, they, people can help out with um, volunteer bell ringing. Um, and usually what uh, works out well is if maybe a family takes a day or maybe a service club or some other kind of organization goes ahead and says, we'll take a day, and then they split it up into shifts because a lot of times bell ring looks very easy, uh, very simple. But then when you get out there, you find out that it, it can, it's pretty demanding to be out there for maybe eight to ten hours, um, depending upon what the weather's like. Oh, yeah, definitely. I always I always would look at them and I'm like, that is, you know, they're out in the cold and they're big parkas and just ringing that bell. How many different sounds can you make with that one <laughs> bell? Um, so where can people go for more information um, if they want to help volunteer during this season? Well, if people want to volunteer, they can simply go ahead and they can call us. Um, our number at the, um, the city administrative offices is 517 517- Four eight two nine seven one five, and our volunteer coordinator is Shauna, and I'm sure she'd be um, thrilled to help people um, with whatever skills and interests they have, and link them up with the opportunities that we have. Um, the other thing too is sometimes they um, can simply show up at our building and meet Shauna. We're at five twenty five North Pennsylvania, and um, you'd be surprised every now and then we'll just have somebody, or even look up online. Um, volunteer impact is a way that people can find a way to um, link up with opportunities for volunteering within the Salvation Army. Well, on the phone is Brian Davis. He's the Capital Area Coordinator for the Salvation Army. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Oh, well, thank you. And um, I appreciate um, your interest in the Salvation Army and um, really am so thankful for the Lansing area and how supportive they've all been. Well, thank you very much for all your work. Thank you.
You're listening to Impact Exposure on tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and on the phone is Scott Harris. He is the owner and founder of Everybody Reads, which is located in Lansing on Michigan Avenue. And tomorrow they'll be having a Bill of Rights Day, and that happens tomorrow at Everybody Reads Books and Stuff in downtown Lansing from 7 to 9 p.m. Welcome to the show, Scott Harris. Hey, Emily. Thanks for the invitation. So I guess to introduce our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your store? Sure. We are uh, Lansing's last independent bookstore. We're located on the east side of the city. We work mostly with underrepresented individuals and families and communities to make sure that uh, everybody's story is uh, is told. And what do you mean by the last independent bookstore? We are the uh, the uh, in the city of Lansing proper. We are the the only bookstore that is completely independent. We are not uh, affiliated with any corporation, and uh, we are one of a kind. And and do you think that's rare? Because now you're seeing a lot of ads um, on commercials on television, you know, for things like the Kindle and all of those e-readers. Um, so during these times when I guess reading is now going more online, and we see that in, in the field of journalism as well. So how can an independent bookstore in Lansing, the only one, how how can you relate to the people nowadays in this this day and age? An advantage we have by being kind of small is we can we can be more nimble and we can be adaptable and find out what in our community is is needed. I mean, there certainly is this inevitability of electronic readers taking over and that uh, fewer and fewer people are going to be buying, at least proportionally, uh, real books that you can hold in your hand. But so long as there is still a need, we will certainly try to find what our niche is. And by trying to work uh, and carry books that may not be readily available in other bookstores, I get working with the individuals who may have special needs or special experiences. I think, uh, again, as long as we listen to what our, our community says uh, it wants, so we'll be able to, uh, to survive for a, for a while. And how long has Everybody Reads been around for? This is our fifth year. We'll actually hit our fifth anniversary officially this coming May, so we're making a good run of it. And can you talk about the evolution of your store so far? Um, has it has it grown? What are some struggles it's faced? And um, who? I mean, you're saying that it's it's serving um, the underserved of Lansing. Can you tell us a little more how you do that? And 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 talk about the people that have come in and have benefited from your store. Sure. Uh, initially, when the bookstore was opened, uh, again, going back five years ago, our intent was to try to work with children who may have special life experiences, either working through you know, grief, the loss of a loved one, um, or children maybe whose parents were divorcing, their families were coming apart. And it kind of evolved into making sure that every permutation of family is represented on our shelves, whether it's a foster family or an adoptive family or a, child, a household where the, child, uh, the children are being raised by a grandparent or even a household where there may be a parent incarcerated. Uh, from there, it kind of evolved into identifying other areas that really we didn't feel were being very well represented, LGBT books, books on feminism, books on peace and social justice, on multiculturalism and religious uh, uh, diversity. Um, what we try to do, again, is find areas that uh, where it's difficult to find books, where it's difficult to find books, especially young adult and, uh, and children's books. So um, we're, we're very deliberate on the books that we do choose to make sure, again, that every book on our shelf justifies its, its place. And uh, as the bookstores continue to uh, to grow and evolve, we've had more and more input from different uh, individuals and uh, not-for-profits in the community. And it becomes clearer and clearer to us that there, there really is a need and there really are individuals who are looking for resources. 
And can you talk about this event that will be happening tomorrow, um, the Bill of Rights Day? Sure. Um, this will be our third annual hosting of it, which I guess kind of pales when you figure in 1941, FDR decided that we should do this every year to celebrate the other uh, Bill of Rights or the first ten amendments uh, to, the, uh, to the U.S. Constitution. And uh, the uh, American Civil Liberty Union, the Lansing uh, chapter, is, is uh, co-hosting the event with us. And what we do is we go through and we, we look at each of the different, uh, each of the ten uh, Bill of Rights and talk about what they mean. Uh, we read them so we know literally what it says. And then we kind of deconstruct them and try to figure out what it means in a contemporary um, vantage and, uh, and then how it relates to everyone on a daily basis. And why do you think it's important to host an event like this in the Lansing area? Well, I think it's important to, to host them everywhere. I, I think that it's essential that people understand what a marvelous instrument this is. I mean, the Bill of Rights was constructed to pretty much show the, the limitations of power of the federal government to show that we as individuals possess extraordinary rights. And this is the first time that anything like this had ever been done in any government in, in throughout world history. And we, we really are blessed in that we have been delineated a series of rights and, and freedoms and opportunities. And, uh, you know, we, we hear on the news a lot about what's going on with the airports and, you know, the possible violation of the Fourth Amendment of the, uh, the Constitution. And we hear a lot about other limitations and such, but it's important for us to step back and realize how fortunate we are to have such an instrument like this and to have such protection that we can talk about stuff. And I was reading, uh, um, you send out uh, weekly emails about what's going on and everybody reads, and when you were talking about the event, you wrote um, that there has been talk about um, the anti-Bill of Rights. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, we, we hear more and more about how our, our country is becoming, uh, how individuals in our country are trying to uh, strike fear into the population and trying to get us to surrender some of our, our civil rights you know, for the sake of safety. And, you know, hear more and more about how terrorists are a threat. And we hear more and more about how the Wiki, uh, Wikipedia re- uh, releases, or not the Wikipedia, the... Um, WikiLeaks. That? WikiLeaks, thank mm-hmm. you. you know, how that's uh, played more and more of a role in trying to uh, undermine our government's strength and how we have to be really careful. And if anything, this really shows how the First Amendment is, is working and that the freedom of the press <clears throat> is working and that we really need to be aware of, what is, uh, of what's going on in the world and that uh, we need to pay attention to make sure that we can preserve our our rights. So, again, you're hosting the Bill of Rights Day event um, at Everybody Reads tomorrow between 7 and 9 p.m. at your store. Mm-hmm. Um, what other types of events do you host throughout the year? Well, we have author events. We have poetry uh, reading events. We have, um, in, in conjunction with the ACLU, we've also had um, a Van Book Week you know, event. Um, a whole myriad of things. We have um, <clears throat> uh, practical events where we have uh, people come and talk about contemporary issues. In the store, we have um, a stargazing event three or four times a year where uh, a retired professor from the MSU Astronomy Department brings his telescopes to the store and, uh, and kids and, uh, and their families can, uh, can gaze up. So we, we try to find activities and events and, and things that are both relevant and also fun. And what's been your favorite event through the past five years? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oddly, probably the one that was the most successful was the Harry Potter event that we had when this, uh, the seventh book was released. And I was out of town for that, which is probably what made it so much fun for everybody else. <laughs> but uh, you know, we, will have, we will have events like that. We had a uh, Mockingjay uh, release party, uh, too, for the, the third book in The Hunger Games that I was at, and that was well attended, and that was an awful lot of fun. Um, Gosh, everything from from some pop culture stuff to also more relevant things like this. Uh, an, an event that we have had each of the last two years is a We Care Friday, 
which kind of is intended to supplant the uh, the Black Friday um, day after Thanksgiving shopping thing, where instead of lowering our prices, we actually raise our prices 10%, uh, and then we match that and add some extra in so that 25% of the day sales go towards uh, the Greater Lansing Food Bank. And uh, the last two years, it's been a fantastic response. The community has really come out and uh, and endorsed that. So uh, any activity where we can really engage the community, where we really do show that the bookstore is not intended just to sell things, but also to yeah, have some fun events and also to have some practical uh, events and fundraisers for, uh, for community uh, organizations. Well, I'm curious, since you're located right next to Gone Wired Cafe, um, I believe in between there's, there's a big opening so people can kind of freely walk back and forth without having to go outside. Um, with, with that in mind, I, I know Gone Wired has you know, some events that go on as well. Do you collaborate with Gone Wired? We, we've done that. We've had some concerts that we worked in conjunction with. And one of our biggest events we had was the, uh, the Obama inauguration night, which we held in conjunction with the Gone Wired Cafe. So we, you know, we're, we're different businesses where we're separately owned, yet we, we have a real sense of, of kinship. So I think because of common ideology and such, we, we have some really fun collaborative events. Now, you were talking about um, the We Care Friday as opposed to the Black Friday, and we've talked on the show about shopping during the holidays and, and buying local. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that important to you to support local businesses during this holiday season? Well, during the holiday season, of course, but also throughout the year. I think that you know, as businesses become more and more homogenized and as you travel across the country and see the same box stores everywhere, you know, A, it really does cut down on variety, but B, the, uh, the impact in local economies, I think that, uh, and I'm, I, I don't want to make up the statistics, but it's almost twice as much money stays in the community when you shop at local, uh, locally owned businesses as opposed to, you know, nationally owned or even internationally owned um, corporations or, or big box stores. Also, for our listeners, I should remind you, I'm talking to Scott Harris. He is the owner of Everybody Reads, which is located on Michigan Avenue in Lansing. Um, tomorrow, he will be hosting, along with his store, the Bill of Rights Day event, which will be tomorrow between 7 and 9 p.m. at Everybody Reads. So, Scott, is there any other upcoming events that people should know about? Well, we're going to be holding a benefit concert uh, in an early uh, January event. So it will be posted on our webpage. It's going to be for a Haitian school um, in uh, we have five, so far five local bands that have signed on for that. We have a couple of local author events that are also going to be coming up sometime in, in early January. We're just kind of nailing down the details right now, so I, I can't really give uh, times and dates uh, quite yet, but uh, soon. <laughs> well, for more information, people can go to becauseeverybodyreads.com. So thank you so much, Scott Harris, for joining us today, and good luck with your event tomorrow. Thanks, Emily. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. And on the phone is Linda Stanford. She is the project coordinator for the new Broad Museum, Art Museum, that will be located here on MSU. Welcome to the show, Linda Stanford. Thank you very much. So how did this art museum come about? Oh, it it started several years ago. It was a project that President Simon truly wanted to support, and it was um, largely had the impetus of um, major donor and alumnus uh, Eli Broad and his wife Edith, who wanted to provide the university with support for an art museum as long as it was a transformative experience for the public, which meant that it needed to be its own building rather than an addition to another building. And is this going to be in competition, or is there going to is it going to differ from what we have already with Kresge? 
Well, what will happen is that we, we have a university art museum. Its current name is Kresge, and the name of the museum will change to the Eli and Edith Broad Art Museum at the appropriate time, and the university art collection will become part of the Broad, and the name Kresge will no longer be used. I see. So I know that we have um, the business college is after Eli Broad. Now, where does the art come from? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Broad are very prominent supporters of the arts. Uh, among their other philanthropic activities, they have their own large art collection uh, housed in the Broad Art Foundation, and they have been very active in allowing other museums to borrow their art for, for exhibitions. They, all, uh, they also have their own personal collection. They, um, Mrs. Mrs. Broad and Mr. Broad have both been on the boards of different art museums in the U.S., so they're, they're interested in the arts and committed to it. And who do you envision the art museum serving? Well, we've, we've been real uh, clear about that, that it is to serve um, a wide range of constituents, students, faculty, the MSU community, which means both local, regional, and international visitors, it's to serve K-12 students, uh, teachers. It, it, the programming will be co- complex to serve a wide variety of interests. Now, Michael Rush was recently hired as the director of the Eli um, Broad Art Museum. Can you talk about Michael Rush and why he was chosen? He was chosen uh, because he has uh, a strong track record as a museum professional he is charismatic. He has inventive ideas. He has a strong intellectual um, background and commitment to inventive programming. And we really wanted someone who also had strong connections in the art world and who understood, who understands contemporary art um, quite well and, and knows how to make the connections to, to develop, which means to curate uh, exhibitions that would be compelling for our museum and also so he would be able to engage in partnerships with other museums as well. Now I want to talk a little bit about the architecture of the building. Can you talk about um, the competition that uh, took place in in order to decide who's going to actually do the architecture of the building? Uh, The competition was based on um, the select. We We had a list of architectural firms and we narrowed the list to five internationally known architectural firms that had um, accomplished records of their own and who would be architects considered to be, for the most part, risk takers, people who are pushing pushing the envelope in terms of aesthetics, technology, and so forth. And the jury uh, deliberated, this was back in, in 2007, and made recommendations to the president, and the selection that she supported was Zaha Hadid. And was sustainability and energy efficiency taken into consideration um, for the construction or the you know the upcoming is, construction of the building? It is, it is taken into consideration for all Michigan State buildings. We're striving to be at, at as high a, a level of qualification as we can be. It it there are choices to be made that are. Um, complicated sometimes uh, in, in terms of an art museum. There are certain things that, that it requires. It's as complex as building a, a scientific laboratory, but we will be LEED certified. I don't know yet at what level. And finally, when will the Broad Art Museum um, officially open? Well, it'll open in uh, late spring 2012. It will be substantially complete at the end of 2011, and then it takes several months to commission the building, which means it has to be made ready for the acceptance of art 
it has the the heating and the uh, humidity and the air quality all has to be calibrated so that the art will like living there. Well, Linda Stanford, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about the new Broad Art Museum. Thank you very much. Good night. You're listening to Impact Exposure. We've just received word of an invasion! Speak quickly, maggot! Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir! We just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded! You stupid ninny! That's the Asian invasion! It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tappingest music out of the Korea, Japan, and China! But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects! Shut up and listen to the music, private! That catchy beat knows no language barrier! Now move out, everyone! Sir, yes, sir! The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on... The impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and in the studio is MSU Slam Poetry Team. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks. Thanks. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> so I guess, can you go around and introduce yourselves? Uh, I'm Will Jones, Vice President of the MSU Slam Team. Um, Austin Gorsuch. I coordinate workshops. I'm James Bertolski. I'm the historian. I'm Michelle Hooks. I'm the secretary. I'm William Langford. I'm the president. I'm Rachel DeLugge, fundraising chair. So I guess to start off, what is, how would you describe slam poetry? Slam poetry is a dynamic brand of poetry. It is uh, poetry's modern attempt to move from the page to the stage. It is a formal competition with randomly selected judges from the audience and high energy poems. Uh, there is cumulative or sometimes uh, separate scoring uh, the judges randomly select it from the audience. Its intent really is to move poetry from um, operating in an elite, uh, scholarly, academic-only uh, community to the mass public. Show them what you mean. Tell them. Ooh, how about that? <clears throat> we write and live and sin. Deafened souls hear what grows from my core. Chorus of my five brothers, two sisters, twenty-five scars and scores of naysayers saying that we've become pariahs. And I'll deny it. We were never meant to stride towards a hopeless future. Let's refuse to be quarantined to quantities and statistics. Risk the cost the bosses pay. Wrench our possibilities from their palms. Take those wrenches and build pipe dreams to an infinity we can reach. Who we be? The unchained melody rocking against your subconscious. Check it. The sex and text message generation has something to say. We were born to flow. <laughs> and the snaps. And I should also mention this is a part of the Michigan storytelling segment. Se storytelling segment, and this will be the last official one of the year that isn't pre-recorded before the holiday season. So we're gonna go out with a bang, and we're gonna have many, many people perform in here. So does anyone want to go next? Austin. Austin Gorsuch. Um, Scarecrow. Yeah. All right. Um, this poem is called Crow Flies. 
two or more crows in a single location constitute a murder of crows. If I believe in language and logic, we call one crow a suicide. On October the second year of their Lord 2010, crow flies. The quickest way from point A to point B is a straight line down each of my mother's wrists and another reading not doing so well. I, I love you. Be better soon. Pray for me. Knowing three-thirds of our captive audience haven't prayed since our ages could be notated in single digits. It's hard to believe in a god who regularly switches the labels under bottles of vodka and sodium pentothal flips a double-headed coin then drinks. Crow flies, plucking an uppercase eye from the corpse of possibility and leaving a body of ifs now lording over kingdoms of the blind. After years spent winging violent spirals of rumination around the triplet carcasses of her motherhood, her marriage and her self-worth. Crow flies black beyond black past midnight. It's not strange territory. I lived in early morning for years and the hours right before the sun claws its way over the precipice of the horizon as if, to, as if to say yes. Yes, my shoulders do hold the emptiness. It is lighter than you think or I am stronger than you know. Either way, I bring you today without compromise. I keep a bag of glass eyeballs I call pearls of wisdom tucked inside of my gut so I can plug the empty socket of possibility with vision. There was a one-syllable difference between carrion and carry-on, and for a man who spent much of his life learning to differentiate between vowel sounds, namely you and I, with a particular emphasis on why, knowing just how close she was for so long, may be enough. Crow, flies crowding the feet she keeps in the corners of her eyes to curb stomp tears in moments of weakness, leaves a blackbird, a mockingbird, and a magpie to learn on their own how to separate storm clouds from solid ground when viewed from a crow's nest. Her feathers flow to see a people. Not every quill is black, but the one I dipped in raven's blood to write this was darker than most. Poetry is a composition shrouded in finalities, but it should be abundantly clear to th that at this point, I struggle with sudden endings. So I leave it to the dove hidden among all these straight lines to tell you the whole story. One word at a time, while I search for land among these feathered, drying waters. So, Austin, sorry, I should I should leave room for this now. <laughs> Austin, what, where did the inspiration come for that poem? Um, well, my family recently suffered a personal tragedy. Um, my mother passed away about two months ago. So, I mean, poetry, I guess, is the mechanism through which I can cope with that. And, and to elaborate on that, um, thank you for sharing that, that bit of information. Is, is slam poetry, is the goal of that to be able to express um, something that's, that's more than just superficial? So something about society, something about, as you can say, coping. Is there usually some powerful themes behind slam poetry, or, is it, or can it be kind of fluffy and fun? How would you describe most of the themes of slam poetry? It can be whatever you want it to be. Um, a lot of the times, because slam is a competition, the poems that get good scores are the ones that make people feel things, regardless of whether or not that's pain or happiness, joy, laughter, sadness. Uh, evoking emotion is like a huge part of what we do. Um, so it just really depends on the... In a slam, it depends on who's going before you, who's coming after you. You have to make a judgment call because it is a competition. But when we write, we write to let out what we feel. And is slam, is there a lot of people um, reciting their work solo, or is it also a competition between two poets that may, like, when I think, when I s hear your delivery, I think of rap without the background music. It has a very s distinct way of delivering, um, very poetic and very musical in nature without the actual music there. 
Um, and so is there is is there competitions where two people are kind of doing something as a group, or is it mostly solo reciting? Uh, it depends. We have competitions that are individual slams, which is individual against individual, but there are also team slams. The MSU slam team can go up against, for example, the CMU slam team or the U of M slam team. Um, and in that case, group homes are permissible and even encouraged, I think, in certain situations. There's a certain dynamic that you can get by proceeding from voice to voice that you can't get just hearing one. And, and is there sometimes, is there music ever that's incorporated with slam poetry? Slam typically does not allow any props, um, any additives. Uh, the limits of what can be presented on a slam poetry stage are confined to what the body can do. So if one can sing, can beatbox, you know, your body is your one instrument. And so Why do you think that is? Why do I think that props are not allowed or why do I think the body is an instrument? Why, why do you think that props are not allowed? I think that poetry source uh, from like the mind, from the heart, from the soul would be tarnished, would be gilded by music, by beats, by anything that was not as organic as the body, the mind, the hand, the pen. It's about what you're saying too. So if you have props up there, you're losing the words. But at the same time, there's a lot of forms of poetry that do go along with music. Uh, like I myself am part of a band. And one of the things that we're working on now is a spoken word album, uh, poetry, music combined. Um, I can show you a little bit of that if you'd like to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is an excerpt uh, from an untitled poem about a girl who I hope is still listening uh, to the radio station. And at 3 a.m., my breath is baited as I struggle to keep myself from saying a hundred things that I'd regret, although I'm sure she'd love to hear. If I could, I'd tell her she is the cherry on top of my dessert, or better yet, the maraschino at the bottom of my glass. She's the best part. I'd shoot back apple-flavored nail polish remover if that's what it took to wrap my tongue around her stem and tie it in a knot. Because it's been so long since I spoke to someone who told me I'm amazing without asking for a favor. I'd forgotten what it feels to feel. But she's reminded me, and she is the dendrites in my neurons, accepting every bit of information that I throw her way, shooting out electrical impulses that make my heart skip beats when I hear someone say her name. She is my world. Mm. <laughs> Who's next? I got one. Oh. All right. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, to the boy who told me I look like a boy with short hair. Barbie Skipper and Teresa sat in miniature pink chairs like contestants in a beauty pageant, awaiting their scores, as I rummaged through the desk drawer and pulled out a pair of child safety scissors. Now, I asked, holding the scissors like a scalpel, a surgeon ready to rearrange perfection. Who would like to go first? Barbie, your hair is the longest. How about you? The hairdresser at the cheap clips tickled her fingers through my hair as it flowed around my shoulders like a cape. Are you sure you want to cut it all off? She asked. It's just so beautiful. The subliminal message oozing from her lips like foam on a rabid pony. You'll be ugly like your bald dolls. My father stared at me that night as though he had just swallowed a lemon and I'm sure he thought I was a lesbian. Well, I certainly won't have to worry about boys chasing you. Barbie called me from upstairs, her head naked, but she still had legs as long as floorboards and a waist like a funnel, and even though her brain was plastic, 
She managed to race cars, cure disease, teach first grade, marry a prince. I could do those things. Barbie didn't go to college, though, and when college boys asked about my girlfriend, I put Barbie in a box under my bed and followed the words of Cheap Clips and my father, growing my hair longer and longer and longer, and forgot if I still had a head under my hair. Then Ken divorced Barbie. After the surgery, her short hair made the relationship feel too homosexual. He had enough suspicion to deal with, his own hair meticulously done each day, gel like Elmer's glue stiffening it into everlasting perfection. I offered her a wig, a lie to wear to get Ken back, but Barbie still raised cars and cured disease and taught first grade and told me, forget the prince. Later my reflection and I had a conversation. He won't think you're pretty if you do that, she said. Child safety scissors ran across the nape of my neck, officers unbuttoning a straitjacket. Long pieces of hair fell to the floor. Barbie cheered. Well, forget him, I said. My mother cleaned my room out later that year, laying Skipper and Barbie and Teresa across the table like bodies at a crime scene, their heads shaved and stubbed like newly grown chia pets. As if speaking to a lost child, she looked from their heads to mine and asked me, Did we abuse you as a child? <laughs> Fresh, Rachel. Who's next? This one's called Capitalism. His name is James Brzolski, by the way. It is. Bartering your body like it's on sale, selling moments like pieces on an assembly line, cold and impersonal, as machine, shouts of I have cash surround you, selling yourself for suburbia, producing in a world of dollars and cents. Consumers consume. We reflect what we do, efficient and cold, productive and impersonal. Every moment has a cost. On the dance floor, arms waving, hair moving, eyes sunken, looking for some dollars and cents to keep on producing. Shouts of I have cash surround you, selling yourself for suburbia, producing in a world of dollars and cents. Consumers will consume. Wearing your body openly, today the market is open. Selling seconds like parts on an assembly line, cold and hollow as machine. Consumers will consume. They want what you have before it's gone. Every product has a price. Every moment is a cost. Consumers will consume. We reflect what we do. Every moment has a cost. Every kiss has a price. Consumers consume. I'm no different. Today I'm buying. Mm. Perfect for this holiday season. <laughs> and finally... Michelle Hooks. Yeah. It's a really short poem called It's Something. Your eye sockets frame blue moons. And every time someone says, once in a blue moon, I translate that into every time I see you. Mm. <laughs> Short, Short and sweet. <laughs> so, how long have you guys been around for? Well, the uh, MSU Slam team was founded in 2007 by myself, Zane Shamoon, Megan Snavely, and Jimmy Amadeus Choi. Love that middle name. <laughs> um, we've grown from just uh, four members to how many would you guys say we see regularly? 20. Yeah, 20, yeah. About, about 20 or so that we see on a consistent basis. And are you guys competing? Yes. Um, we've transformed... Uh, into a group that's really, really interested in traveling and competing. Um, we're working to develop the funding and the, you know, time and 
you know, resources to do so. And would you say that Michigan has a, a slam poetry community at all? Uh, yes, yes, I, w- I would yeah. say so. Um, the Women of the World Poetry Slam um, was recently hosted uh, in Detroit. Uh, Ann Arbor has a perennially successful uh, group of slam teams, both youth and adult, uh, as does uh, Detroit, you know, with poets like uh, Jamal versus May, uh, Cassie Poe, um, Omari, Carrega, etc., Ben Jones, uh, Phoenix. And stop giving shout outs. But it's true. <laughs> there really there's there's really a solid a solid, you know, slam community there. And I think um what logic, you know, has done in East Lansing and groups like Black Poet Society and MSU Slam, you know, have done in just like the past four or five years have really made it. In addition to Central Michigan and the University of Michigan. You know, I think that they've taken, you know, steps to really make sure that we do have a community of art and camaraderie. I would say yes we do. But we're always looking for more, more poets. And where can people go for more information about the MSC Slam Poetry team? Well, if, you'd, if you're interested, um, you can hit us up on Facebook um, under the MSU Slam Poetry team. Uh, you can talk to Will Langford or myself, Will Jones. Um, and we do meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m., except obviously for this coming week and uh, the week after returning. We haven't decided whether or not we'll have a meeting. But we meet 7 p.m. in the Writing Center. So if you're interested, feel free to come join us um, because we'd love to have you. The Writing Center in Bessie Hall. Yeah, it's the third floor. And any upcoming events for next semester that people can look out for? Well, our largest event that is upcoming is the Old School Voices Only Duel. Two. Two. Part <laughs> two. Uh, last year we amassed over 325 people, uh, which is pretty big for uh, the union's uh, main ballroom, I suppose. And um, that event will be on February 18th. Uh, we haven't nailed out the, down the time, but details are forthcoming. Well, in the studio, I have the Slam Poetry Team of Michigan State University. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Impact Exposure.